guys. All right, I think this is the first time all weekend that I have been in front of you, which is a first. I feel like usually by now I've spoken to you at some point or another. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I am Harsha, and welcome to Gospel in Our Lives. So this year we wanted to... I was saying to these guys earlier, I feel like we're on, we're on a talk show, so welcome to my talk show. So this year we wanted to try something just a little bit different. Do me a favor, look to the person on your left, and look to the person on your right. And the reason why I had you do this is, I mean, even if you look around, none of us are alike. We are all very, very different people. And the point of that is that God works in us in very many different ways. How many people do we have part of the worship team? How many people do we have as speakers? How many people do we have as our RAs and our small group leaders and just intermittent people everywhere? God works through us in a variety of ways. So today we have, uh, we were supposed to have three, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we had to lose one. Regardless, we still have two very different people with us here today who will be sharing their testimonies. So the purpose of this night is to demonstrate how our one same God, he is the same God regardless, how he can utilize different circumstances and utilize different situations so that he does shine, so that he shines through those situations, so that he shines through those circumstances. So our speakers we have tonight, and you've already met them at some point this weekend, we have Miss Stacy Paikatu. And we have Mr. Jiju Matthew. Okay, so the way this is going to work, I'm gonna do my little spiel, and then we're gonna have Jiju speak first, and then we're gonna have Stacy speak first. There is a Google text that I, and I'll give you the number in a minute. And it's behind me. Um, so if at any point you have any questions at all, shoot a text over. And then once we're done all this, I have a few questions that I'm going to ask these guys. But Abhi, the voice of reason up there, he'll also be shooting questions in intermittently. So if you do have your questions, please don't think your questions are being neglected. They will at some point be shared during the Q&A session at the end of this. Okay. All right. So without further ado, let me welcome Mr. Juju Matthew. <clears throat> Hi, good evening. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, my name is Juju. I am a sinner saved by grace. Uh, that really, that sentence really encapsulates who I really am. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my family, all my family were involved in the church. Uh, my father served the church as a layperson. My grandfather was a preacher and a missionary in the CSI church uh, among the poorest of all regions in India. My dad's brother was a of CSI who recently passed away. So all my family, as you can tell, all my family were highly, highly involved in the church and the weight of being involved in the church and the respect that followed. Uh, growing up, my parents actually worked very, very hard for my sister and I. Um, they left what was so unfamiliar to, to, I mean, they left what was so familiar to, to a land that was completely unknown. Uh, they didn't know the language, they didn't know the culture or any of those kind of things, but they gave up so many things 
so that we, my sister and I, could flourish. Um, so coming from India was was hard. I mean, I, I came here when I was seven years old and adjusting to a new life in America where I didn't know any language. I, all, I know, all I knew was Mamuti and, and Malayalam. <coughs> so, so all of those things is that, but I missed everyone, uh, obviously, uh, all through these years and what I learned from India and all these things, and I lost it over over these years, except for a couple things. One is my identity, meaning who am I? Am I Indian? Am I American? I am this 1.5 generation. I, I don't even know where, where do I classify myself um, and, and my accomplishment. What am I going to be when I grow up? So I still struggle through those. Uh, but all that to say, it wasn't until high school uh, when everything just collided. Uh, on the surface, I was a pretty good guy. Um, obeyed all the rules that my, my parents gave, no dating, no dancing, no stealing, <laughs> no drugs or anything like that. So at least on the surface, at least on the surface, uh, I was doing pretty good. It wouldn't make the White House actually jealous. But while at, the, while at church, I, I was pretty active in the youth group. I was teaching Sunday school. I sang choir as a tenor. Um, and all of, all of these things, but living living in that life, I was making sure that I was living according to what my dad was preaching. And what he was preaching was, you have to make sure that you keep the family tradition. You have to make sure he he keeps on saying that don't don't date, don't steal, no girls, uh, no drugs. You need to be an example. You need to be that older brother. All of those kind of things. Um, so you have to make sure that you have to live according to those values. Do not bring shame. That's what he would constantly say. So, so my, my high school years was like, I had two objectives. One was keep my family name pure, and the other one was uh, don't bring shame to my family. But I try to live to please my folks and all of these things. I do, I do all the right things in front of others. and. Uh, and all of that, but even though I wasn't in the clubbing scene, I mean, I couldn't dance anyway. Uh, I never dated any girl, or, or except for my wife later on. Uh, never, never got into drugs or any of those things. But I lived a double life. I really did. I, I lived a double life. Uh, I mean, on the surface, everything was good, obedient, moral, all of these things. But internally, uh, privately, I struggled. So in high school, while I was teaching and doing Sunday school stuff and trying to be that example, I was living a lie. I was living a lie, living a life that was not consistent to the way that I behaved. Uh, to my utter shame, I was actually physically involved with a girl um, that was not my wife. Uh, even though I didn't have sex, per se, um, Everything that I did was sexual. It wasn't right. It wasn't pure. It was degrading. It was habitual, meaning I kept on going back. I wanted to keep myself pure for my wife, but I, I failed miserably. I remember running to my home uh, that one evening and going straight into my room and closed the door and looked in the mirror and I looked at myself and I said, what the heck am I doing? Um, and I felt lost, I felt empty. Uh, but from that point onwards, uh, I went from bad to actually worse. Uh, gave over to my, my, uh, my lust issues, 
fantasies, pornography, um, all of those things. I mean, uh, I've, I've gone from bad to worse. So I've stolen magazines. Uh, I've stolen money from my aunt because, because I wanted to buy a pair of Air Jordans. Uh, I, I've, so all of these things that I've, I've did, I've, I did that were not, that were not good. So um, I, I guess it just, it just took me further than I, uh, than I have ever wanted to go or kept me longer than I ever wanted to stay. Uh, it cost me more than I could ever actually pay. But anyway, there were many nights that my, my mom, I remember during that time when my mom used to call me for family prayers and uh, I used to never go or I sometimes go or, but I was at a place where I was always yelling. Uh, I was reactive. I felt guilty. Uh, I mean, I can't tell my mom this. Uh, I'm not sure who I could actually tell, uh, tell this to. But I really felt empty. I felt distant from God and, and all of those things. But at the same time, I kept on doing stuff for the church. So I was living this, uh, this lie. And there were these verses that constantly comes into my mind. Verses like, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. And I'm like, yep, that's a deal breaker. Or, or out of my heart, or out of the hearts come sexual immorality. And I'm like, oh, great, they're overdue. Uh, and, and there's one verse in Revelation that says that people who are faithless and sexually immoral and liars will be thrown into the lake. And so while in high school, I'm hearing all this, and, and those verses actually really, really scared me, and I, I thought that I, those were some of the deal breakers. But, uh, but there was this fear that I, I guess, or a fear or a thought that always came into my mind during high school was I've always felt that God was disappointed with me, that God never really accepted me. Um, I could do these things, I could be active in the church, but I was operating on low fuel or empty fuel. Um, so I rebelled against God and um, all of these things. I've, I've done what was evil and things of, things of the nature. But in 94 and 95, uh, my friends from church, uh, my friends from church and I, we actually went to the regional Markimo conference. And I guess going to that conference, I mean, my, my intention was not to hear a good message or sing worship songs. I mean, I went because some girl was going. So uh, so my intention, my heart was not even right there. But, but it was in that conference where my life truly began. That, that year, 1994, 95. Um, I don't remember the message at all. I don't remember what was said or, or any of those things, but I do remember a song. It was from Job 19, verses 25 to 27. It is actually my life verse. If I die now, it, that should be played on my funeral. Uh, but it goes like this. It, it, I'm not going sing to sing it for you, but it goes like this. It says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will reign on the earth. Though my flesh it be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see God. 
And the reason why I got so latched into that song is because, you know, you, you, you read the Gospels and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, right? And I was sitting there listening to the song being sung, and I could not, you know, I could not, uh, I was, uh, you know, obviously emotional and, and all of these things, but um, I, my heart was not pure. And because I've lost so many things, my purity and all of these different things, I felt that somehow God was angry or disappointed, but that song said, wow, though my flesh, though everything and all of its desires, it's going to be destroyed, all of those things will be gone, and yet with my eyes, I will see the one who loves me the most. And that really got me, um, and that really got me even to this day, and even even if I hear that song being sung, uh, I can't take it. Emotionally, I just wouldn't be able to take it. I am not an emotional person at all, I don't sit and cry or any of those things, but if that song is being sung, I get very, very, very emotional. Uh, so purity is very huge uh, for me because I've lost it uh, in, in a sense where, uh, in a sense where I've done what was evil to, to this particular person. Uh, but I reala realized a couple things. I realized that I failed. I realized that I'm impure. I felt so unclean. I, I feel guilty, shameful. Uh, I realized all of those things, but at the heart of hearts, I realized that I was a rebellious sinner. I mean, I could do so, I could do all these church stuff, but the real truth behind it is I was really a rebellious, rebellious sinner, and it left me empty. It left me dark, in a place of darkness. It left me uh, very cold. Uh, so, of all the external things that I was trying to live up to, destroyed me as well. I wish I could go back in time, and I wish I could say, man, I wish, I wish I'd never entered that room with that girl. I, I often think that. I wish I would never enter. Uh, I wish I would never stole uh, things from people, from people's locker rooms and things of the nature. But, uh, but all of those things, I realized the love of God. I realized that God, whom I'm the worst, I'm finding myself, I, I see the sins of my own heart and my life, but I, I realize the fact that God has accepted me because of Christ. Uh, for an impure, rebellious sinner like I, he ran towards a per person, per person like me. So, so to me, that, that was really, a, uh, I guess, the start where my life actually began. Uh, so I stand before you, or I sit before you, or I'm before you, um, only because of Christ. There's nothing, as Sunny was, Sunny was sharing, there's nothing that we bring to, table, to the table at all. I have nothing to offer, not nothing, but, uh, but because, of, because of His grace. I can go to him. Um, so I, I, I guess the only thing that I do want to say is that you can live the Christian life. You really can. You can live the Christian life, but we can totally miss Jesus Christ altogether. Uh, you can be moral. You can be obedient. You can be. You can teach in Sunday school. You can sing choir, and you can honor your parents, and all of those things. But 
that doesn't really make you a Christian. It does not. So all of these religious activity that we do uh, doesn't mean that it's stemming from the sufficiency of Christ's work and who he is because it, because it actually produces a false sense of identity, um, who you are as a person. We could be masters of deception. We, could, uh, we don't really believe in God's goodness. So, so I say all of these things because I do have a need even now, right now, as I sit before you both in my conversion as well as my Christian life now, I need a savior. I need a savior who, who makes me whole, who, make, who, who accepts me. Um, and for an unholy person like me, uh, he makes me holy. So I'm very utterly, utterly thankful for, for who he is and, and what he has done for me. And so to me, that's the gospel in my life. And, um, he is redeeming my life, even now. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, so I know uh, some of you might already know uh, some of this, but um, I'm going to try not to look at you so I won't cry. <laughs> so look this way, because a lot of you are sitting there. Um, but my story is actually very, uh, in many ways, it's similar to um, Jiji Chachin, um, but, and it's probably similar to you guys in the sense that uh, I also grew up in a family where my parents came from India, um, and my amachi actually lives with me too, so I'm actually an only child, but never really felt that loneliness because I always had my cousins that always came over and kept me company, and if they weren't there, I had amachi to bother, so I was feeling really lonely. Um, and growing up, they brought me to church and they brought me to Sunday school. So that Christianity was like the faith I always knew, never really questioned it. Um, you know, it was just like a given that at night you read the Bible, you pray on Sunday, you go to church and you go to Sunday school. And because I just did that all my life, I never really thought about it. I just thought of it as truth. And um, I'm, I was pretty sheltered, I guess, as well, growing up, where like my parents told me, obviously, like stay away from doing these things and don't do that, and um, those things are really bad, and um, and so I would be like, I would like make sure to keep to those things because I was like, okay, like that's what you know makes you a good person, um, until I got to high school, um, and then people started talking about like uh, sex and drugs and alcohol, and I was like mind blown because I really didn't think people like kids like even thought about those things and did those things. But what that actually ended up doing is that it started to make me feel better than others because I was like, dang, like compared to these people, like I'm killing it. Like I'm going to church. I'm not doing any of those things. Like I'm great, right? Um, and, I, and I felt like uh, the next step, I guess, sort of was to start serving in church because I also saw, like, saw my dad do that um, all his life. And so then I started to get involved in church. So I thought I was set, like, this is great. And then I started going to conferences as well. So I was just like adding all these different things into my life to make me a better Christian. Um, and so like kind of like Judge Judson said, kind of going through the motions. Um, but then at the same time, like as I started going to more of these praise and worships and conferences and things like that, you, know, you also meet like speakers and uh, worship leaders and they were just different with their faith, like there was like a true joy to them when they came to talking about uh, Jesus and what they did, what he did to their lives and 
they talked they talked about God in such a tangible way and I didn't understand that but I thought okay maybe like I'm just not good enough for that like there's like different levels of Christianity and I'm just like you know the subpar and there's like the higher levels and I'm just I'm comfortable here um, but I, at the same time I felt something was missing because uh, they kind of, they always talked about their lives being changed and I was like I don't know if I've ever really felt that before like I was just I've always just been doing what I've been taught um, and I started to feel convicted that I needed to like ask for more uh, but at the same time this was like closer to high school I was like you know what like I sorry, college going to college I was like I'm going to college and um, like I'm about to dorm I want that freedom I don't want to feel like I'm tied down to like God or you know have like rules that's gonna limit me from like experiencing my freedom and so I kind of made like the conscious decision to really not seek God I was just like all right I'll do it after college like once I'm done with all of that you know I'll save it for later when I can focus more on being like a better person um, and and then around this time we also started a worship team at our church and uh, I remember thinking like we were like a lot of us were really excited to start it but at the same time, we really had no idea what we were doing with it. At least speaking for myself, like for me, worship was just like going up and singing songs. If you sounded good, you can go and do it. And that's what it was for me. And I go to college and um, I start experiencing my freedom and I start doing everything that a lot of college kids do. Uh, started crossing bounds that boundaries I shouldn't have. And rather than being happier, I felt myself actually becoming more upset. Like, I thought, like, this was what I was waiting for, like, this freedom to do whatever I want. And instead of feeling satisfied, I ended up feeling more and more dissatisfied. And I didn't really get it. And then back at church, like, um, like with our worship team, things weren't going well either. And, like, I was starting to feel discouraged then. Um, and it was actually uh, Joffrey Joshin, which I don't know if you remember seeing this, but he, I remember he sat us down one day and he was just kind of like, at the end of the day, like, what you're going up there and you're singing and seeing, if it doesn't match your lives on the outside, um, it's gonna reflect in your worship. And that was like super powerful to me because I think in that moment I just felt like like Pharisee, like you know in the Bible where they're like, you know, like you pretend to be this holy person but you're really not. And I started to feel so bad. I was like, I've really been living with these two lives and I started to like understand that internal struggle that I was having was the fact that I had, I was pretending to be this person inside of church, and then when I left the church, I was someone completely different. Um, and that was, and it was really hurting me. It was really uh, kind of confusing me as to who I am. And so then I think finally I like got to the decision of like, okay, fine, I'm gonna start being intentional about seeking God. And I didn't really even know what that looked like. All I really knew is what I heard. Um, when my mom would watch Joel Osteen, and at the end of Joel Osteen, he always says, like, you know, I want to give you the chance to invite Jesus into your hearts, um, and so we're going to pray this, like, you know, he does that whole thing, and I was like, okay, it's Joel Osteen, so he probably knows what he's saying, um, and so I started to pray that, and I remember when I started praying it, I was actually really scared, like, I wouldn't be like, oh, like, Jesus, come into my heart, I'd be like, okay, Jesus, come into my heart, because I was, like, scared, because I didn't know what that meant, but at the same time, I, like, I knew that's what needed to happen next, um, or at least it's what I needed to do. And so I started praying that. And around that time is also when my health started to deteriorate, um, which honestly, 
like towards the end of high school, I started to feel like something was off, but um, anytime I like brought it up to a doctor, they just kind of always blamed it on stress. So then even when I got to college, um, anytime a new symptom popped up, I'd be like, oh, it's stress. So like if I was, you know, losing a lot of hair, okay, it's stress. Um, I started to lose weight and okay, like it's stress. Like everything, I just started to blame it on stress until I got to my sophomore year of high school. Um, where I was about to enter sophomore year of high school and um, I lost a lot more weight to the point where people were looking at me like are you like eating because it was just it wasn't a healthy weight loss um, and I remember that summer the doctor kind of being like listen like maybe we should do um, a bone marrow test on you um, to see like what's going on and that was just kind of like crazy to me because I was like really, is that necessary? Like, that's so invasive. And um, and then they were like, yeah, just think about it. Um, and we'll, like, do it. But then by then, college had started up again, and I got busy with school and um, completely pushed my health off the table. And then towards the um, end of that year, things got really bad. I was coughing. I actually had been coughing for a year. I couldn't breathe. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, maybe we need to go get this done. Um, and then... <laughs> One thing led to the next, and after like a bunch of doctor's appointments later, uh, it was basically headed in the direction of like, okay, like you might have cancer. Um, and I remember, uh, like the the week of before my like official appointment, just being so upset because I was just like, like I didn't get it. Like I was, you know, like genuinely asking for more of God, and this is kind of what happened after. Um, but at the same time, as I was like going through that, the story that kept coming to my head was the story of Job um, and how he had went through so much um, in his life and he had lost everything, but somehow he still stayed so joyful and so hopeful and full of faith and that was intriguing to me. And so then that started to make me think like, maybe there's a purpose to this, like maybe there's a reason um, why this is all happening. Um, and so the day before my official appointment, I just went into my room, locked the door, and like for the first time, I think, I like got on my knees and I just surrendered it all to God where I was just like, I don't know what the next, how many of our months are going to look like, but I'm going to trust that you're here and that you're working. Um, and I'm just going to let it go to you. And even just in that moment, I felt like, this burden like lift off my shoulders and I just had this weird sense of peace that like things were going to be okay and this weird sense of strength um, that like you'll get through this and then the next day uh, I had my appointment uh, where they basically were like you have lymphoma and I was like okay I saw that coming not that bad but it was like it's also stage four um, 4B, like at the end of the spectrum. Um, and that leaves you at kind of like a 65% survival chance in five years. Um, and that was like a hard blow because I was like, I didn't expect that. Um, um, and then I went back to the dorms that at night because I was still in school, finishing up the semester. And um, I remember thinking like, I really don't know how this is all going to turn out. and. But I remember that prayer from last night and just stayed hopeful and 
before going to sleep that night, I pulled out um, the Bible app um, just to read like a the verse of the day because I was just like too lazy to read anything else. And that night, um, the verse happened to be James 1 verse 12, which is, uh, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love them. And I don't know what it was, but there was like this weird like rush that went through my body and I just felt God telling me like, this is not your end, this is a new beginning. And, um, and I just got super emotional because I was just like, maybe this was like my answer in a weird way to that prayer all along. Like maybe this is how God is going to unite my two lives and like bring me closer to him. And I started to get this weird sense of hopefulness and joy. And that's like such a weird thing to say about something so horrible, but like I think that was my first like experience of God being able to take something like that and make something so beautiful out of it. Um, and those six months went by, um, but it was six months of treatment, and within like the four months, I think um, I was I was like declared cured, and uh, it was such an awesome thing to hear. And what made those six months so special is I had to take time off from school. Um, I had to take a, uh, for a whole year actually, and I had to take a step back from like everything that I'm usually involved in. And that was really upsetting to me at first because I went into school with like a whole plan, right? Like seven year program, graduate at 25, get married at 26, have kids at 20, like it was just like all set, right? And so when I was forced to take a year off, I was like, you gotta be kidding me, you have to get married at 27 after kids at 29 and like I was like yeah it was like something that like got me so upset um but then those six months kind of helped me like let go of that like like I guess control over my life to God and just being like I got it like don't worry about those things like it'll be okay and I was able to focus on that because those six months I was super involved in church because I couldn't do anything else like I wasn't able to go out I wasn't able to really hang with my school friends as much. And if that, that was the year that we actually hosted conference. So we were super involved in church and that was all I knew. So I was spending a lot of time with God and it was the happiest that I ever was actually, like in those times. And um, once I was better, uh, we had winter retreat, or, which is our youth retreat that we have. And the months later, I think it was like the January after. So it's now like 2016. And, um, we were doing a manuscript study like we did today and what we were looking our theme was children of god and our uh, the verse that we were looking at was galatians 3 and where it talks about being children of god how uh, you are no longer slaves to the law like before jesus we were always um, slaves to the law always expected to follow it and um, be righteous through it but because Jesus came, we're no longer chained to that anymore. He's not looking at you as righteous because of what you follow, but he's um, looking at you as righteous because of your faith of what he did for you um, on the cross. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the truth of like, wow, like God wants me here and now, like in all my brokenness and all my sinfulness, like He's not waiting for me to finish college and become a better Christian. Like, he wants me now, and he wants to know me, and he wants me to know him. And I don't really know how to explain it. It's just, like, this moment where, like, literally my eyes were open, and, like, the first song that came to my head was Amazing Grace. And, like, those words just kept going through my head, but it finally had meaning. And I started to understand what those, what it meant 
see, like I was blind, but now I see. Um, and so that was like the moment that I think I like finally understood who Jesus is, what he did for me on the cross. And I think that was kind of mind blowing for me in the moment because I was 20 at the time, about to turn 21. And I was like, wow, I went to church and did whatever for 20 years, completely not understanding what it was all about. Like I missed the purpose the whole time. Um, and that started to build sort of like a burden in me for other people and other kids in my church and even people that I know, my friends and all of that. Um, and, and in that moment, I thought like that moment was enough to kind of carry my faith forward. I didn't understand the whole like justification and sanctification because um, a month after it was my 21st birthday and I did everything that a 21st birthday person does. <laughs> and I actually remember before I like went out that night, my dad like took me aside and he was like, don't do anything to hurt your testimony. And that was so powerful to me because I was like, I never like thought of it like that. Like I never thought of the things I'm doing can affect other people's faith or like the way they look at my faith and which can ultimately affect the way they see um, Jesus. And so um, afterwards I started to realize, okay, like if, if I'm going to say that this is true and that Jesus has really changed my life, I need to start acting like that. And, and so I started to pray um, that God starts to transform me, um, not just like on the inside, uh, so that I'm not just speaking this faith, but I'm also embodying that faith. And um, and then also I started to get into the whole like, and I think this happens quite a lot where, you know, once you have this understanding, it's easy to kind of look at the church and um, see the brokenness in the church and be discouraged and feel like, you're better than that, or I, like at least that's how I felt. And I felt like, you know, do I leave? Do I stay here? Like, I don't know. Um, and I went to Passion Conference, which is like a conference this uh, Passion Church hosts for uh, high school and college kids. And one of the pastors that spoke was Levi Lusko, and he spoke from Jeremiah, where he said, um, I forgot the exact verse, but he verse, but he said, um, uh, where Jeremiah, you know, he's by God, he was given the task to go to the Israelites and tell them, you know, that God is not ha happy with you. You need to, like, turn away from your ways. Otherwise, he's going to destroy you. Um, and Jeremiah has been trying to say this message um, that God has given him to say, but uh, he's instead getting, like, death threats from them. People are hating on him. And he basically goes to God and complains. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, you know, get me out of here sort of thing. And God kind of is just like, you know, if you can't deal with, like, the people here, like, how are you going to run with the horses? Something like that. Basically seeing, like, like these people here, these troubles that you're, like, facing right now, like, this is nothing compared to, like, what you may have to face for, like, other things I may have for you. And in that moment, I felt God kind of telling me, like, if you have this, like, real burden to, like, spread the gospel, right? If you have this real burden to, like, share the good news, start with where you are. You know, if you can't do it where you are, if you can't work faithfully where you are, what are you going to do if you leave? Like, are you just going to keep running away when things get hard? Um, and I started to, and I, I like wish I didn't hear that verse because I was like, now I have to stay. Um, but, um, and so then I started, because then I think God also was just kind of like, like, what did you actually really do to try and change things, right? Like, what did you actually try to do, like, other than complain? And, because um, I remember, like, our youth would, um, come together and we would talk about how we would want to see our church in the future and stuff like that. Uh, and But at, at least for me, even though I talked a lot, I never really prayed about it. Like it was always, 
within my own strength that I try to make change or um, try to bring change to the church or whatever. And so obviously I got burnt out. But I realized I never actually once got on my knees and actually prayed for the church. I never really once got on my knees and prayed for the kids in our church. So then how could I sit there and say that I really tried everything when I didn't involve the one person I needed to involve in all of that? Um, and so then I decided last year, I think, to really start being intentional about praying for change in the church and praying for the future um, of CSI and everything like that. Um, and it was like towards the middle of the, e the year that Brian sent out, sent out his vision email. Um, and I was shocked when I read that because I was like, I didn't think anyone in CSI thought this way. Like, I didn't think anyone even like thought about the future that way. I didn't even realize there was like a so-called movement or whatever it is. And that I really felt was like an answer to my prayers. Like I was like waiting for like some sort of sign that like, you know, God is here, he's working here. Uh, and then Brian and I got talking last year at a conference and we got to talk about it a little bit more. And um, I started to really feel convicted that there's something so beautiful here. And I started to read more about our church history and our roots and realized like this wasn't always so, you know, bad. Like it started with great intentions. Like our, our message and our mission is so unique to like other churches and we just have some work to do to get there. And, um, and if you involve God in that process, like, of course, like there's going to be beauty at every, like, how could we say there's not? And I think this past year has just been a lot of us, like me, Brian, and Benoit. It's just been us praying to God for things and then watching him work in so many ways. Like, I can't tell, I can't explain the amount of, like, transformation we're seeing within just my youth at our church, the amount of times that they are having their own encounters with God. And it's just been so inspiring and encouraging to see that, like, God is with us and, like, uh, he's here in some way and he's doing something. And so uh, basically God took me from someone who was going through the motions and um, just kind of serving church because that's what I thought was the right thing to do to actually calling me, giving me life and giving me purpose and being here. All right. Thank you both, and praise be that you are in remission. I know we were all really happy when we heard that. Um, all right. I have questions, Abby. If you get questions up there, just shout them in. Bless. Oh, I didn't, whoever it is. <laughs> Voice up there, okay? Um, so I want to go back a little bit because, Juju, you mentioned talking about a false identity, and Stacy, you actually briefly mentioned it too, having the double life kind of thing. Um, so for those kids who, and I, and I do know, because I've, I work with kids across all the ages, so I get to see the transformation from pre-K all the way through 12, and you get to a point I feel like elementary, middle school age, and then beginning high school, they, they feel like they know it all. And, and a lot of the encounters I have with the kids, they're like, no, we're good. I have a great relationship with God. So for those kids that do believe they had that relationship, is it possible that they're still living through a false identity? Is it possible that they still have a double life? 
And then for all the rest of us, how do we determine if we are having that false identity? How do we determine if, if we're kind of going through the motions, Stacy, like you mentioned, and what's the best way to kind of fight through all of it? I'm sorry, this is the teacher in me with the multiple choice, or the multiple questions, <laughs> okay? So take whatever parts of it you want, but how do we fight through that, and how do we kind of work through the false identity and the double lives? I don't remember all the questions, but <laughs> uh, uh, that second one, I think, where you were like, oh, um, how do you know that, yeah, uh, so I think that one of the ways you can gauge it, uh, our purpose in being here is to glorify God, like that is our one and only purpose, and I think when you have that relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in you, your eyes are open to that and you want to, more than anything in your life, know more of God and glorify more of God. Like, more than wanting a successful career, more than um, wanting fame or money. Like, God is like the one thing that you're earnestly in seeking because God is the one thing that gives you true joy in this life. And so I guess maybe one way you can gauge it, gauge it is like, uh, you know, I don't really feel that way about God. Like, I don't think I have that personal relationship with God. Then maybe then start questioning, like, you know, then what is my faith? Like, why do I believe what I believe? I think that's a good question. Like, why do I believe what I believe? What's the, like, um, basis of it? Am I just doing things because I've been told to do it that way? Um, have I, I think it's always good to question your own self. And, like, um, if someone were to ask you, like, why are you a Christian? Like, what would your answer be? Would it be just like a book answer? Would you have like your own experience, your own relationship to kind of go off of? Um, and then with little kids, um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I understand that because when I was like younger, like I also thought everything was good, right? Um, I, um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, just adding to what Stacy was saying, um, <clears throat> false identity, I mean, Identity is basically saying who, like who, who are you? Like who, who are you? Like the core, like that, that's not, that's durable, that's not changing. So like when circumstances arises, for, for instance, uh, what has, like at least in terms of recent marriage, I've recognized how much of a false identity, identity is basically you're building your life anything on anything else besides God. On anything else it could be family career whatever it may be right and I've realized in our marriage that my identity who I am as a person is not my identity is not I feel like I'm wrestling through uh, my Malayali culture uh, and what I want to um, uh, promote or lift up I guess uh, as opposed to uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ or being a Christian and I feel like I, my default mode, or, or I tend to fall under this, I guess, in this line of, um, man, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm constantly building my life on something else besides God. And so, uh, and because, like I guess in my story, because I was doing stuff for the church, I was putting, I guess I was living a, a life that was not really with God at all. I was 
I was living off of a false identity. And what, I guess when the gospel comes, is that he is placing a new, I guess, new, new identity in you. You are not identified by, by, you know, by your culture or by, or any of those kind of things. You're identified by, by who Jesus is. Now, with that identity, then I could inform, even reshape, uh, our culture or uh, who we are as a person and, uh, and all of these things. And so I feel like, um, I feel like it's so easy to have false identity. I think it, it comes off very subtly. Uh, it shows who you are. Um, it just comes out. And I feel like what the danger is, I feel, I mean, <clears throat> the danger is that, uh, you know, you, you can actually, you can actually put on a performance. And that's, I'm thinking, you know, you can be like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ and all these thinking. And that's the danger is like, you think that you're following Christ, but in reality, you're living a double life. And so what, what should happen is, um, is how do we, you know, I guess how do we cultivate this identity in Christ is, is I guess one is uh, preaching the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel not, not just from the pulpit level, but you're preaching from the pulpit to the pews. Because pews, it's messy, it's dirty, it's deception, it's, it's all of these things, but it's both ends, it's not just either or, it's both ends. You're able to preach the gospel effectively, uh, uh, passionately, so that you have to somehow make it relevant to, to these people because um, it's, it's, I don't know, we often think that we're competent or we're okay, we don't need a savior. And when we preach from the gospel, we're preaching that, no, we do need a savior. We do need this new identity. I agree, and I think um, going along with that, like, if you do say that, like, you know, being a child of God is your identity, then it's more than just what you do at church. Like, it's also what you're doing outside of church. So I think you can also, like, take a look at your life outside of church and see what it is you're spending a lot of time on, you know? What are the things that you're always thinking about? Like, uh, what are the things that rule your mind? Because I think that's where that split identity sort of come from, where we say with our mouths, like, this is what we believe, and um, this is who we put our faith in, but then our lives outside of those four walls is completely different. So I think it takes a lot of just, like, introspection and, like, figuring out what exactly, like who exactly you are and what are the things that run through your mind and what you think is so important in your life and where God falls into all of that. And one more is that, I think, one more is that, given to what Stacy said, is that uh, the best context to reveal God's identity in you is community. It is absolutely with each other. That where you can latch on to your older brother and sister, Stacy, you shared about Joffrey. You should, there are older people, there's Brian, there are people who you could latch on to and say, I need help, I need to somehow understand who this person of Jesus Christ. So, taking to what you said, Stacey, I agree, we need each other in many ways to understand Christianity, to understand uh, the gospel, and even change. 
All right, so Stacy, I actually just had a text come into my phone. Um, so if for some reason that number isn't working and you do have my number, feel free to send it. It'll still be anonymous. I, will, I, kid, I worry you. Don't worry. It'll still be anonymous. Um, so Stacy, an anonymous person asks, <laughs> if your diagnosis and your illness did not come about, how do you think your faith would be now? I think I'd be completely lost <laughs> uh, because that, honestly, like cancer is sort of what like stopped everything and made me like figure out what God was doing because I think otherwise I always would have been passive. I think it's because that happened in my life that I had to finally like surrender everything to God and like finally like admit that I needed him before that I never really did and I never really felt that actual need or dependence on him so I feel like if that hadn't happened and nothing else had really happened I would have constantly sort of lived in that path that I was going through in college and I wouldn't I really don't think I would be up here like um even like a part of planning this conference and I think that's like the beauty of suffering in a way where like uh like, people often ask, like, if God is such a good God, like, why is there suffering? But it's because that we're so stubborn and, like, we're so broken and we're, we're so unwilling to surrender ourselves to God that he kind of intervenes and lets things happen because that's when we finally let God take control. Because even though in my head I knew, like, what I needed to do, I never actually went out and did it because I didn't feel, I didn't feel the need to do it or... Um, I was just comfortable with it. It's because that that happened that I finally like let go. Okay, so for both of you, right now there may be youth and young adults who are dealing with isolation, depression, loneliness, anxiety, whatever the case may be. And sometimes people who are dealing with these problems feel that they cannot share with anyone else and I am a testament to that statement because for the longest time I battled with anxiety and it's only been in the last few years that I finally was able to accept the fact that I had anxiety and I was able to seek help about it um, but for others who are still wary and are afraid of for asking for help because they're worried about what their families might say, they're worried about their, what their friends might say, they're, they might even be worried about what society would think of them if they were to come out and say that they're depressed, they're lonely, they're anxious, whatever the case may be. What would you say to them at this time? Sorry, I um, I think what I would say I think what I would say is that I think it's okay. I mean, if we, if we, if the gospel is true, okay, if the gospel is true, which it is, and we create or cultivate an environment of safety, meaning people who are, you know, an environment that is safe where people can be, meaning be who they are. If that is the impetus, if that is the, the drive of the church, then it's okay to, 
to school. Because all of us deal with anxiety issues. All of us, in one form of issues, we all deal with fears. We all are dealing with a lot of different things that we are dealing with because all of us are dealing with not only uh, not only overtly but very hidden battles. We you know we all deal with hidden battles battles as well. And so, if the gospel is the impetus, if the gospel is the drive, if that is the focus, then what should be the result is that this place is safe to be who you are. And when we begin to share our lives, we're we're able to talk about uh, our issues, our struggles, even of our fears, our anxieties, and then we, uh, you know, there is counsel. So even the, even the role, the church, I mean, there are levels where we can resort to an external counselor, right? But the church should be the primary vehicle where counseling comes into play. Because what we read through the scriptures is, you know what counseling actually means? Counseling actually means to come alongside. You're literally coming alongside. God is described as a wonderful counselor. He comes alongside you. And so if, the, again, if the gospel is the impetus, if that is the drive, then the result is that it's okay to, hey, I'm dealing with stuff. I mean, for me, I, for me, I think both my wife and I really value the understanding of the gospel because the result is to share or to be, uh, to share our struggles, to share our fears and our anxiety. So I would say that. Um, yeah, I think the first thing I would say is that you're not alone. Um, it's something that is actually so prevalent and um, and it's just, it's so important to take care of your brain just like you do take care of your heart or you take care of your lungs or the rest of your body. There's no shame in that. Um, and I think it's actually really healthy to like go every once in a while to a counselor to talk things out um, and just to be healthy mentally um, because our mind does actually play a huge role in the way that we live our lives and see things. Um, and I myself have struggled with a lot of those things as well. And I think going back to what Gigi Chachin said, having that community is so important. Like find that person that you can trust something like that to and pour it out to them. Like I know you, it, it's easy to feel like you don't want to burden them with that. Um, but the truth is that if they love you and that they're there for you, that you're not burdening them with it, they, they want to hear it and they want to be there for you. And, um, and if you want help in seeking counsel, you can always reach out to someone. And I do hope one day like our church can become that safe place where these conversations are being had and um, thought about um, so that people have, uh, like who do struggle with that feel like they have a place to voice that. Uh, and I, yeah, and for someone who's struggling with that right now, like you can definitely talk to like me. I don't want to say anyone else's name. Um, but you can definitely talk to me and like I can try and help with like guiding you to the right resource or whatever it is or whoever else you feel comfortable enough to go to but I think the worst thing you can do is to keep that bottle to yourself and not to share that with anyone make sure you do and also pray like um, I think a lot of times we feel like when but for me like whenever I felt like you know depressed or anything like that I would feel kind of ashamed in a way to pray to God because it's like oh I'm this big person of faith but yet I go through these bouts of depression and hopelessness like why 
Um, but the thing is, like, God is seeing you go through that anyway, so, like, you don't have to pretend to be, like, strong. Like, you just let it out. Like, literally speak out to him exactly what's on your heart, exactly what you're feeling, and, like, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you healing um, and to bring his peace on you. And honestly, that works miracles as well, so... Okay, I was informed that the voice above has some questions. So hit us with a question, voice above. I guess I'm the voice above. So I have one question. I'm constantly back and forth with my faith. There are days where I feel like I'm so strong that I can help everyone around me. And then there are days where I can feel like I can barely help myself. I am active in my church, but still I feel nothing. Currently, I'm kind of broken and fake a smile so people aren't worried. I want to fully and permanently accept God, but I don't know how. I depend on others to provide for my happiness. When I, when I myself can't make myself happy with my faith and love of God, what should I do? The consensus up here is wow. Hey, Blessing, can I, you repeat? Not the whole thing, okay, not <laughs> the whole thing, but like one, if you can... If you can put it in one sentence, one sentence. Or, or, or or paraphrase, just so that just so that it's so. Am I understanding that he, he this person is? Uh, can you repeat that? I mean, well, not, just so. Yeah. All right. So, and. We'll figure out if the voices above can figure it out. But my understanding seems to be that there is a person who feels as though he or she needs to be strong for others, but then in that strength is suffering as well because this person can't seem to live up to what he or she is trying to provide. And um, anonymous person, I do apologize if I'm butchering what you were trying to say, but this is my interpretation. Uh, just reading this, so this is a person that, and it's just summarizing again, so maybe hearing it a second time might help. So um, it's a person that they feel strong sometimes for themselves and for their friends, and then there's other days where they feel that they can barely help themselves. Um, a lot of times they feel broken they fake a smile for others and the people around them. They want to fully and permanently accept God, but they don't know how. They depend on others to provide for their happiness, and but they themselves, they're just not happy with their faith and with their love of God. So overall, it seems that with what's clashing for them, uh, this feeling of brokenness, but this want to have happiness and faith in God, their question is, what should they do for themselves? I think the first thing to point out is that it's awesome that you realize that uh, 
you haven't fully accepted God and that there's still something left, like that, that in itself is like the first step, like realizing that. Uh, and just knowing that if that's like a true desire in your heart to want to know God or you really want God to enter your heart, just start praying that simple prayer. Like, God, I want more of you. I want you in my, like, usually I want my heart. Open my eyes to who you are and truly pray that prayer and God will open your eyes to uh, what it is you're missing. Like, truly pray that prayer every day and um, he'll, he truly will enter your life. That Bible that Bible verse, um, ask, seek, knock, right? He's got, like, we sing, we sang in that song today, Reckless Love, where God has been chasing after us. Like, he's the one that leaves the 99 to chase after the one. So you don't have to chase after God. He's already there. He's waiting for you to just ask him to come in. So just um, saying that prayer, I think, is um, key. And then in terms of still feeling broken and having good days and bad days. I mean, I still have that too. Like, I'm not like completely like happy every day or strong in faith every day. Like I still have days where my faith is challenged and I feel too burnt out to do things for others. And um, But if I did notice anything, I did notice that those days happened more when I was less dependent on the word and in prayer, because in those times I was trying to act out more on my strength rather than letting the Holy Spirit work through me. Um, and that's super tiring and it burns you out. Um, and so I think a way to um, go about that is to make sure you are like reading the word every day and praying every day. Like it's not a once in a while thing that you do when you feel like you need it. It's like I need it every day. Uh, and that makes a huge difference. Um, I like, like last year, was it last year or two years ago when I was like VP of our youth, that year, I was so burnt out because I tried to do it all by myself. I was barely praying about it. I was barely reading the Bible, and I tried to do it on my strength, and I got super burnt out at the end. Versus this year, um, I felt more. I felt compelled to read the Word more and to pray more, and it's just giving me this like strength um, to keep doing the things, especially for conference because that's super tiring. But like because people were praying for us and we were praying also, like God really filled us with the strength needed to push forward. Um, so yeah, don't be discouraged if you do feel like uh, you have those bad days, like it happens, but like in those moments, just make sure you turn it to God. And also uh, community. I feel like it always goes back to community. Like um, you don't have to deal with it on your own. Like if you feel like you're overwhelmed with something, like talk to someone about like, uh, you know, sharing the burdens with them, whether it's like something physical you have to do or um, even if it's just like letting it out, um, telling who, like your friends, like exactly how you feel. Like, you know, I feel like I depend too much on whoever else and I'm really struggling in my faith. And, um, or any like older changes and chachans you look up to that you feel like can mentor you or help you, like don't feel afraid to ask them for help. Piggybacking what Stacy was saying, <clears throat> brother or sister, whoever that, whoever asked that question, uh, yeah, whoever that, just receive Jesus, receive him. Whoever this person is, receive him, because in in one sense, you cannot be strong for anyone else. At the end of the day, you cannot be the savior for anybody, nobody. And if there's brokenness that you're experiencing, it's one sign that, that God is showing you that 
I can't do it all this together. I can't, I cannot muster up anything at the end of the day. And God will chisel you down to the point of nothing and say, I need him. And that is exactly where you need to be. All you need to do is receive. Receive. And I'm not, I don't know if, if I'm, I, I don't know if I'm saying it very simplistically, simplistically, but, but if this is a tension between looking at other people and being strong and then you don't know what to do, if that is the tension that you're dealing with in terms of being strong while you're dealing with your own brokenness, bro, sister, put the life, put that on first. I'm serious. You need life and 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 especially from the especially from him because you cannot you cannot you cannot give what you don't have you don't there's there's nothing that you can give what you don't have and so because because of that because of that truth alone receive whoever you are receive because there's tension there's wrestling there's brokenness you feel it there's heaviness receive it bro receive Jesus Christ, or sister I'm serious. Receive. Okay, I had another anonymous question. Well, anonymous person come to me. Um, <clears throat> so, growing in your faith, you both have had doubts. And you both have had your trials and tribulations and, and your, your hills and your valleys throughout your journey. So at any point in your journey, Judy uh, Judge, and I know you're a little older, but think back to your childhood a minute. Sorry. So, <laughs> so did at any point, at any point, did did you guys tell your parents about the doubts that you had about about the struggles that you were facing, or was God the only person that you really felt comfortable going to? Um, so I, as I've shared, you know, growing up in a family, in a, in a family who's involved in church, I mean, uh, so God's word were, was literally shoved into my mouth. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was as if, uh, it, it was this constant theme everywhere. It's God's word, God's word. So. And so my parents, I don't know if I've ever voiced my doubts to my parents. If they did, or if I did, I mean, I don't know what they would have done. I don't know if they had any categories to even answer their questions. But I never really doubted the existence of God. I never really doubted uh, any of these things because what, what God in his mercy sovereignly arranged, uh, being born in a family that I did not choose, being the fact that, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Being all of those things, so I did not, I did not have, have any questions per se in terms of the existence or sufficiency of scripture or, or any of those kind of things. It's more of, it's more of, I think for me, it's like I have this, you know, from the prodigal story, I have this older brother syndrome, and for those older brothers, it, at least for these older brothers, these people are performing. At the end of the day, they are performing day in, day out. And so what they cannot understand is grace. And so they cannot, they cannot understand it.
because all you are trying to do is earning, 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 making sure that God, God somehow is not disappointed with me. So I didn't have any kind of intellectual uh, questions, but it's more of my my heart level where 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 like did God accept me and or, or is he accepting me or anything like that or things like that. But um, so <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think my parents, uh, I didn't have, so in, in terms of the avenues, I think it's it's close friends, it's people that uh, similar. So even like, you know, obviously I grew up in Seaside Christ Church in Chicago. And uh, during that time I had about like four or five, I mean, this is like, this is Joffrey's A, bro. This is, so this, so as you guys are in diapers, we were, <laughs> Joffrey and, and there were many, many others who are older, older people. Uh, who used to serve in the church? Uh, I miss them. But anyway, no, I really no. I, I'm sure Joffrey feels that too, because I'm sure that we miss these people who really labored. And in that context, in that context, we joined up, partnered together. I'm like, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I'm dealing with this. I'm sorry, I'm going back to community. And so, and so, I guess so. No to the parents, but but because I'm a Pharisee, because I'm a performance-oriented guy, uh, because I don't understand grace or grace, I, I I don't I don't. It's complicated. So because of I need people to help me understand what 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 grace and mercy means to me. So in that way or in that context. Yeah, see, for me, I never, uh, so I never really doubted the existence of God, so I guess I never really had those conversations with my parents, but I'm pretty close to my dad, so um, a lot of times I do voice to him, like, exactly how I'm feeling and stuff like that, and he's very encouraging and understanding, um, but I think now I talk more to my parents about how, you know, there was a time where I didn't really believe, and now, and I only started believing at 20, and um, and I think that's something that's challenged them because they're like, you know, what does that mean? Like, um, like we raised you, like, <laughs> like, what did we do wrong? That sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I think that's like more of the challenging conversation. Just like um, you don't learn faith. You, you don't learn faith. Like it's not something that's like, like passed down to you and taught to you. Like you need your own experience with it. Um, and there's like work that comes with it after. Um, and so that's, it's like more of a conversation that I'm having with them now rather than I had with them before. Okay, so I think we have time for one or two more questions. Voices above. We have time for two more questions. Two more questions. Okay. This one is actually directed to Stacy. If God in his sovereignty didn't choose to heal you, how would... How do you think you would have responded? Uh, that's funny because I think about that all the time. Um, and technically, um, I'm not healed yet. I'm still in remission. I think I have to wait like five years for it to be like healed officially. So um, I, and the thing is like once you've had cancer, you're kind of always thinking like when is it coming back? Like it's always sort of in the back of your mind in a way. Um, and so then in those moments I do think like if it happened again like in the next week like what's going to happen like am I going to like 
be upset because it's like, oh, I went through this once, like, what do you have to teach me again? Or is it like, um, I'm going to be hopeful in it still, knowing how much has come out of it the first time around. Um, will I be hopeful that the second time around is just going to be just as like fruitful in a way? Um, and so I would hope that um, that I w it would be the second way. Like I would pray for that, and um, I would ask other people for uh, for prayers as well. And I think just looking back at my life, just looking at how God really has used those lows in my life to mold me and transform me. Um, if I wasn't, if I wasn't actually healed, like I would, st I would be okay. It would obviously, I would obviously be upset, and life would be different. And um, I'm not going to say I'm going to be, I'm like a hundred percent like strong, and I'm going to get through it. But like, there's like a joy. My like hope is really not in this world anymore. It's like um, working toward like meeting Christ, right, and seeing Him face to face. And that's, I like, I'm working toward making that my ultimate joy. And when you make that your ultimate joy, um, you don't really worry about the like trials and the fears and like the disasters that can happen in your life because this this life is just kind of like you're passing by till you really get to what you're truly made to um, live for. All right, voices, next question. Just before the next question, uh, we're actually getting a lot of great questions up here. We just wanted to let everyone here know we're not going to be able to go through all of them tonight, um, but there are uh, office hours for anyone whose question may not have been answered tonight to go to. It's at uh, 11 to 12 tonight in at the STC meeting rooms, lower level two, and, <laughs> and a few others, and we'll keep you updated as they will let us know. Long story short, if your questions haven't been answered, there are office hours with Brian and Josh and then Stacy, where you can talk to them later tonight. What she said. There you go. Write it on a piece of paper, slip it under the door. Uh, I'm the voice up in here, so let's, okay. We'll, so. we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out and then we'll get right back to you. Okay, so. How do you know God is in our hearts? And go. Well, um, the verse that actually comes in to my mind is, uh, I can't, I don't have it memorized, but it's something to the, it's something to the effect that um, God has poured, God has poured the love, uh, does anyone know what I'm talking about? God has poured the love into your hearts so that we can cry out. Oh, God has poured, so the verse that I, so the verse that has been coming into my mind related to this question is, God has poured his love into your hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And so, so, relate, so in trying to answer that question, one way, I guess one way to know if God is in your heart is 
is there a response or is there a conversation? Is there, out of your heart, is there a level of um, yeah, uh, it, yeah. Is there a level of uh, it, is there a level of growing in your own awareness of what the love of God is into your own heart? Uh, I think is there a level of is is the love of God? <clears throat> I mean, we were talking about the gospel all this time, right? Even this last session with the liturgy, everything that we did when it comes to the gospel in this in this conference. Is the love of God becoming an important mark in your life that you can actually, that it expresses itself out? And that's one way, uh, I think, looking at Scripture is one way to see or recognize God in your heart. And so uh, that, that and, and then there's, there, there is another, um, <clears throat> I guess another uh, passage in Galatians where um, Paul would write, uh, faith works itself out in love. So there is a level of, so the, your vertical component, right? So your relationship with God and who you are in Christ, it works itself out. It expresses itself out in love. And so uh, loving your neighbors, loving God, and all these different things. So, so that's a, another way of recognizing God, the Spirit, and all of these things in your, in your heart. Um, yeah, I think like one way uh, you can gauge it uh, is like think about like the people that you love, right? Like the people that are in your hearts, like whether it's your parents or a significant other. Um, and the way you go about like, I guess, like talking to them or um, like one thing people would do is like figure out the things that they like so that you can go out of your way to like do that for them, right? And there's that verse in the Bible that says like seek what pleases God. Right, because we don't inherently know uh, what pleases Him, what's what um, He wants us to do. And when you, when God is in your heart and you're allowing and you're praying for the Holy Spirit to transform you, He's constantly opening your eyes through the Word or through other people, the things that are pleasing to Him and the things that uh, you know that maybe He doesn't want you doing anymore in your life. Um, and it's just like that person. It's like a personal relationship, kind of like you would have with someone that you love, and that's like the dynamic that. It kind of is so um, I think that's like one way you can like figure it out like can am I able to talk about him in a way that I can talk about someone else that I love and um, am I really seeking to please him the way that I would someone else in my life that I love it is the summer and you guys made my teacher brain work so I have come up with a solution to the anonymous question. What we're going to do, if you guys still have questions, keep sending them in. And we are, during office hours, these guys will get the questions. And we'll compile the questions with the answers into a Google Doc. And we're going to share the Google Doc with, into the groupie. So that way, everything still remains anonymous. There you go. 